Our reading is from Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 11, and it's on page 1168 of the Bibles on your pews. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also, I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as you know, we're just starting the book of Galatians. Uh, We had the introduction last week. 
Uh, and it's particularly relevant to us to see what the issue is that Paul is getting at in this book. So let me pray that the Lord will speak to us this morning as we look at the next little section. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this letter to the Galatians. Please open our eyes to see clearly what Paul wrote and help us to understand why it was so important then and why it's still vital for us to learn from it today. Amen. Well, just for a brief introduction, I'll uh, have a little recap of what Tim covered last week. And then I want to show you why Paul's gospel is the only gospel. There is no other. And then in support of that, what Paul says about his life, his gospel story. And finally, why we must take Paul's gospel as gospel. In Galatians 1 verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished. Or you might say, flabbergasted, shocked, or stunned. Here is Paul's Victor Meldrew moment. I don't believe it. How is it possible you have abandoned God and the gospel that he called you to for another version of the good news that is not good news at all? You turned to a fake gospel that's so dangerous that even if an angel from heaven brought it to you, then they should be cursed. Let them go to hell. Anyone who brings another gospel is at odds with the one that you received. That is at odds with the ones you received. Then let them be cursed, he says in verses 8 and 9. Well, if you get the feeling that Paul is a little bit upset about this, then you'd be right. He's furious. And so he goes straight into this tirade with not so much as one pleasantry. Now, all the other letters that Paul writes are different. They normally start like this. There's a little introduction that says who he's writing to and says a little bit about himself and his ministry. But then he says something nice about the church. For example, in Ephesians, they were commended for their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. In Philippians, it was their partnership in the gospel that Paul commended them for. In the Thessalonians, they were commended for welcoming the gospel message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit that they were a model to all the churches in the area. When he wrote to Timothy, he was writing to his true son in the faith. And even the great theological epistle of Romans starts by thanking God for their faith, which is being reported throughout the world. Not so the Galatians. He's so furious that they've abandoned the gospel, he has nothing good to say about them at all. He gets straight to the reason for his letter. They had abandoned the true gospel for a false gospel that wasn't a gospel at all. Now clearly this isn't the way to win friends and influence people. But Paul wasn't interested in pleasing men. In verse 10, if I were trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Paul serves Jesus. And he goes on to tell them by giving them his testimony, his Christian story. 
Now, I think it's always a good exercise to write down how you've become a Christian so that you can tell people your Christian story. If you haven't done this before, then why not spend an hour today or this week to write down your story so that you can tell your friends how it was that you came to know Jesus. There's nothing quite as powerful when you're talking to your friends about Jesus than to say exactly how you came to be a follower. You could practice by talking to your family or your friends at home until, you've, until it's second nature and you can tell the story of your Christian pilgrimage, how you came to faith. Mine started when I was a child in Sunday school. And I thought it was rubbish, and so I left. Yours might be earlier in life, or maybe later. Maybe in just the few years ago, you've come to faith in later life. But wonderful though it is that Jesus has called you to himself, none of us could say that we have an experience like Paul did, his Christian story. Or maybe you don't know what I'm talking about by a Christian story. And you're just looking into the Christian faith to see if there's anything true in it that will make a difference in your life and where you will spend eternity. Well, if that's you, then I hope that looking at what Paul says here will help you make a few steps towards finding that Jesus is alive and he wants you to follow him. Well, that was the introduction and the recap from last week. So let's turn to verses 11 and 12 as we ask the question, why Paul's gospel is the only gospel? There is no other. Verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, or brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. It's not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Well, you may be aware that after the Gospels and the book of Acts, Paul is responsible for most of the writing in the New Testament. And most of the book of Acts itself, although written by Luke, is the story of Paul. But some people try to belittle Paul's teaching and say he wasn't a proper apostle because he got all his teaching second-hand. So we can ignore what he, he wrote and just go straight to the Gospels and listen to what Jesus said. Well, Paul says, you couldn't be further from the truth. Verse 12, I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. There's no difference between the good news of Jesus and the good news of Paul. It is in complete harmony. Don't let anyone try to confuse you otherwise. But there were false teachers who had managed to confuse the Galatians. And this is what they were saying. You can't believe what Paul is saying because he's left something important out. He tells you that you must believe in Jesus, but he's left out something really important. You see, Jesus was a Jew and all the 12 apostles were Jews as well. And they were all circumcised. And if you don't get circumcised, you cannot fully belong to the people of God. Now that sounds like a simple little thing in itself. Why does he make all this fuss about a little operation that's over in a few minutes? And if that's all you have to do, then why not submit to it? 
But Paul says this, if you submit to this one little operation, you're actually changing the whole of the Christian religion. You're changing it to a religion of believing to a religion of achieving. You're changing it from a religion that puts its trust in what the Lord has done for you to a religion that puts its trust in what you do for the Lord. And that's a totally different religion. Because circumcision will lead you to the law and the law will lead you to bondage. And you'll go right back to the religion of trying hard to be good enough to get to heaven. And that's a miserable religion because the harder you try, the further heaven seems and the further off you are. Now, which religion are you going to have, asked Paul. The religion of circumcision and the law in which you try try and try harder but you never quite get there and it's sheer bondage and it's all you shall not do this you shall not do that all the time or the religion that says put your trust wholly in me it's what I'm going to do in you that matters not what you do for me you see it's a totally different religion so in saying there was just one little thing that Paul missed out circumcision they were actually turning the gospel upside down. And Paul said it's heresy. But sadly, it's the religion of 90% of people in this country. Do your best. But Paul comes with a gospel of freedom, of liberty and of truth that sets people free and says, now it's the Lord who will get you to heaven, not you. It's the Lord you can trust, not yourself. And when you trust him, you discover how good he is. It's not about how bad you are, but how good he is. That's the difference. And his goodness replaces your attempt at being good. And when you stand before God on that final day, you don't present your own good deeds and say, Lord, I, I did this. I did that. I achieved this. But you stand before God and present the good deeds of Jesus that he accomplished in your place. And you offer his goodness. And that's what gets you in. Well, in support of Paul's argument that his gospel is exactly the same as that of Jesus, there are two simple things that he says. Firstly, I'm going to prove to you by the events of my life that on the one hand, I didn't get my gospel from anybody else. I didn't get it from the apostles. Not from them. Not from anyone. But on the other hand, I'm going to prove to you that they agreed with the gospel that I received from the Lord Jesus himself. I got it independently but it wasn't different. I got it direct, but it was exactly the same as the one that the apostles were preaching. So let's look at what Paul says about his life, his Christian story. Starts in verse 13. And where does he start his Christian story? Well, he goes straight to his sinful life. And you might decide to do the same with your Christian story. Although not many of you will be able to start by confessing that you persecuted followers of Jesus 
leading to their imprisonment and death. But then he goes back further in verse 15. How many of us start our Christian story with a calling from when we were in the womb? I think it's significant that he starts before his circumcision, before any human religious practice. God had set him apart to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul wants them to know that this is God's work. It's not his work, nor the work of the other apostles, but Jesus himself taught Paul all that he heard, and he passed it on. And where did this happen in verses 17 to 21? Notice that he skips his encounter on the Damascus Road. I'm sure if we were telling our gospel story, we couldn't miss that bit out, the dramatic part where he has a vision, where he's blinded by the, the brightness of Jesus. And he hears the voice of Jesus. And as a blind man, he's led. We'd, we'd have that rather dramatic part in our story, but he leaves all of that out. But no, he starts. He says he goes straight to the three years that he spent in Arabia and Damascus, followed by a brief encounter, just a fortnight with Peter, and then another 14 years in Syria and Cilicia. Why does he tell us those things? Well, Notice what he says about the gospel message in verse 2 of chapter 2. Paul was told by the Lord to present his gospel for the Gentiles to the apostles who were working in the Jerusalem church. And his master plan, he took with him Titus, who was an uncircumcised Gentile, to make sure that they were completely happy with his gospel message, which says, You don't need to be circumcised to be a true follower of Jesus. There were people in the church that openly opposed his message. So he had to be firm about this. He didn't budge a millimeter in verse 5. Because this is just too important. And in verse 6 it says, The Jerusalem leaders had nothing to add to Paul's gospel message but they fully endorsed what Paul said and agreed that he should take the gospel to the Gentiles, those who were not circumcised, and they would continue to work with the Jews, those who were circumcised. The only thing they were worried about was not the gospel message, but the practical needs of the Jewish church, which was suffering at the time from a famine. Paul knew this, so he was pleased to raise some money for them from the Gentile churches who at that time were better off. Well, Paul's story might be different from ours. It was the story of how he received the gospel directly from Jesus, had it verified by the apostles in Jerusalem. Anyone suggesting that Paul's gospel was different from the gospel of Jesus or or the one that the disciples taught was leading them astray, And next week we'll see that this continues as Paul has to explain the difference between the gospel of freedom and Jewish customs. But let's finish today by asking our third question, why we must take Paul's gospel as gospel. If I was to wander into Festival Place after this service, to the shopping centre, armed with a clipboard, and try to stop passers-by, 
and ask them about British values, I'll probably be spotted by a security camera and swiftly marched off the premises. But suppose I found a place where people were happy to stop and talk about the things in life that really matter. What answer do you think would I get to this question? On what do you base your faith for the future? On what grounds do you hope to have a better life after this one? That is, if there is life after this one. Well, if people have had a chance to think about it and they they have thought about life after death, I think most people would say something like this. Well, I've never done anyone any harm. I give to charity and I've tried to live a good life. Do you see that's the false gospel that Paul was so upset about? It's not good news at all. It's a cursed gospel. But we have to ask ourselves, where did it come from? Where on earth did the great British public get that idea from? And the painful answer for those of us who know the gospel, the true gospel, is they got it from church. They got it from watching songs of praise, from religious education at school, from religious leaders on TV, even from those who profess to be Christians. Paul had to fight for the true gospel in the first century. And we still do. There is only one gospel. They picked up the idea that they had to try and keep the commandments and try and be good. We just didn't make it clear. So as Christians, it's our responsibility to stop and think and pray about how we can explain the gospel clearly, like Paul did. But let me finish with this question. Did you ask yourself why were the people in Galatia so happy to accept bad news? A gospel which wasn't a gospel at all. And the answer is quite simple. It's because the false gospel allows you to keep your pride. Many false gospels have this at the heart. For example, the prosperity gospel that promises to reward you for paying large sums of money to their ministry. If I can save myself by doing good, by giving money, then I can be proud of it. And Paul, as a proud Pharisee, had tried to keep the law to get to heaven by his own efforts. But when he met Jesus, he discovered that the gospel of free grace says, you're a sinner. And you've got to come on your knees and say, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And human pride doesn't like that. Well, Jesus explained how pride is so destructive by telling the story of two men who went to the temple. One of whom was quite something. He had a a good reputation. And he stood at the front and he said, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like other people. I give lots of money. Just look at that poor old chap at the back. 
I'm glad I'm not like him. But that poor man at the back of the church said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was the man at the back that got right with God. And he went home justified. And that's the gospel. But we don't like it. Our pride says, no, I can do it myself. I'll make it under my own efforts. I'll pay my own debts. Thank you. The gospel of free grace humbles you. It says you'll never save yourself. God needs to save you. And he has a plan to do that. He sent Jesus Christ who gave himself for your sins. And he brought him back to life from the dead. So that you could be rescued from the inevitable disaster you're heading for when you think you can do it on your own. That defiance that I see in little toddlers who say, I can do it, which is charming in a three-year-old as they wobble on their bike and fall off or they, they spill their food down the front of them. But it's deadly for those of us who think we can approach God on our own terms. The gospel of grace gives us a gift that we can never earn for ourselves by trying harder. We receive peace with God and total harmony in our lives. Well, that's gospel freedom. And may anybody who preaches a gospel other than that be cursed, Paul says in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your gospel sets us free because we can never save ourselves. Please deliver us from the false gospel that we can achieve something towards our salvation. Thank you that you came to this earth. You showed us what life, is, life can be like. And you gave up your life in order that we may receive forgiveness. You rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and we can't wait to be with you, Lord, to see you face to face and in the new creation to meet up with Paul and thank him for his letters that he wrote by which we can understand the gospel of grace. But until that day, please show us how we can tell our friends, family, workmates, our neighbours and even those who hate this gospel and don't like us for talking about it. Please show us how we can explain to them the true gospel, Paul's gospel of grace, your gospel of grace, the only gospel of grace. Amen.